I hope you and yours had a very Merry Christmas and a, a great time. I pray that God's presence was saturated over everything that you do. You know, it's so easy in Christmas that that's the reason that we do all of that. And uh, I pray that you get in the habit, as we celebrated Advent for a month, that you get in the habit of, of looking for Jesus in little points during the Christmas holidays because God shows up. He, he arrives. And if we look for it, maybe on Christmas morning or your Christmas meal or gathering with our family, there are Jesus moments that Jesus wants to teach you. And I hope you had some of those. And uh, I pray God blessed you over the holidays. It's hard to believe, uh, really hard to believe, that 2014 is coming to an end and the next time we meet will be 2015. Uh, it just seems like years tend to go by so fast. But I have to tell you, as we get into the new year, one thing, I, I'm just happy uh, to be well and not to be sick. If you didn't know, I had the flu going up to the week before Christmas. And I, I want to thank Sid for stepping up last week and filling in and, and for uh, Chris Swanson sharing his heart and teaching in both services. It's a blessing to be able to have that, to know that if I had something like that, sickness, that they're able to come in and do that. And it just blessed me to be able to stay home and be sick and get well and get over all that kind of stuff. And I was I was miserable. I was in bed for five straight days that I didn't get out of bed. And uh, I just laid. When I wasn't asleep, I was reading books or I was watching TV, which is something I really don't get to do a whole lot of this time of year. So it was something new to me. And so in watching TV, I discovered something that I wasn't really aware of. Maybe I was aware kind of on the side, but I just really wasn't aware of it uh, to the extent that it happens at Christmas time. And that is that on certain channels, there are so many Christmas-themed TV movies. I mean, if you turned on Lifetime or Hallmark or uh, On or Up or any of those networks like that, it was 24 hours a day Christmas movies. And uh, you know, and they and and I realized after watching, I didn't watch a whole lot. I kind of catch a glimpse, but I realized after catching a glimpse of a few of them, they're all the same movie. It's all the same plot, and I don't want to uh, hurt any of your feelings. If you live for that, and if you've got them on DVR, go back and watch them. That's fine, but I don't want to spoil it for you. But it always seemed like what happened is you had a single mom or a single woman uh, or a single widow, uh, always a woman, and she was having tough times, and it was difficulties, and uh, maybe she was facing tragedy or trials or her life was not turning out the way it wanted, and it was Christmas time because it was a Christmas movie. And so, and in that, uh, somehow Santa or an angel or the Christmas spirit or a group of people would all rise up and rescue her from her problem, tragedy, whatever it was, just in time for Christmas. That was every movie. That was every one of them. You could take the characters out. You could take the places out. And, and it was all different. Now, if it was Lifetime, there was always a bad guy because there had Lifetime is good women, bad men. And so they had, you always had a man that was the problem of all the, the, the energy that was going on there. But there was one caught my eyes. I was laying in bed. Uh, and the reason it caught my eyes because it had George Wendt in it. And George Wendt is the guy who used to play Norm in Cheers. Uh, I almost didn't recognize him. He's gotten so old. And I guess time has gone by so much. But he was in it. And so I thought, I'll watch this and see what Norm's doing. And uh, started watching it. And, and I got wrapped into it. Uh, same premise, same kind of story as the rest of them. 
But the story was based on the plot from Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies, the, the Bill Murray movie, where you have to relive every day. Uh, you wake up the same day and you have to go through the same exact day trying to live it differently. And so that was the premise of this uh, movie where a woman had gone, uh, left her hometown and pursued all the big stuff out in life and left her family and friends behind. And one of her friends was getting married from high school. She goes back to town. Norm plays her limo driver and he is an angel. And so, and on the limo ride home, he grants her this Groundhog Day thing to where she wakes up every day and has to relive that day over and over again. And um, and he, she asks, finally, she says, what am I supposed to find out? And like most of those movies, we're just supposed to find out what you're missing in life. And so she goes reliving that day all different kinds of ways to try to figure out what she's missing in life. And as I watched that movie and the concept of Groundhog Day came to me and I thought, you know, every day waking up and going through the same thing and the same routine, I started thinking, you know, for most of us in this room, that's kind of how this last year probably was. Now, we don't think of it as Groundhog Day, but most of us got up at the same time and we ate the same things. And we had the same routine. You get the kids off or you get off and you go to work and you drive the same way and you get to work at the same time and you work all day and you go to lunch, usually the same time or the same places uh, every week. And then the afternoon comes, the same routines. You go home, you have the same routines with the kids. If you have kids and uh, you eat supper, you watch TV, depending on what night it is, right? Monday night, you watch this, Tuesday, and you have the same routine. You go to bed at the same time. It's like Groundhog Day. We get caught in these routines. Now, I know we spice it up some. You go out to eat every once in a while. You, you know, you stay up an hour later to watch something, and you think that's changing up your routine. But, but really, we live in routines. We live this idea of, of the same thing happening over and over and over again. And, and what happens is we get comfortable in our routines, we never intended it for it to become a routine, but, but over time, it just got to be a place of comfort. It got to be just the way things are. And, and what happens is when things intrude on our routine, instead of thinking, and, and, and let's just be honest, instead of thinking, well, maybe we can do that, we automatically, once we're comfortable in our routine, think of all the why nots instead of the possibilities. Why we can't do those other things, because we're in a routine. And we get comfortable, and those routines and that comfort becomes habit. And the older we get, the more that habit becomes concrete, the, the less we move one way or the other from it. And we do the same thing spiritually. We get called in these spiritual uh, ruts, if you will, to where we get into a routine. We go to church and we read our Bibles at certain times. If we read our Bibles at certain times and we read certain things and we do certain things and, and all of a sudden those become habits and then it becomes a rut and then it becomes routine and our spirituality starts to diminish. Heard it said that a rut is nothing more than a grave with the end cut kicked off. But that's, if we had to be honest about 2014, that's where many of us were. Have you ever been in a rut? You ever been in a spiritual rut? Emotional rut? Physical rut? Your marriage ever gotten to a rut? The more we try to get out of our routine, the more we settle into it. You see, 
We still have dreams, and I'm not saying you don't have dreams. I'm not saying you don't have hopes. I'm not saying you don't have goals. All of us have those things. But what happens over time is once we get settled into our routine, when we have dreams or we have goals or we have hopes, what it takes to achieve those become far more than we're willing to sacrifice to get out of our routine to do. And it's the same way spiritually. We get so comfortable that when God begins to work in our life and maybe begins to move in a certain area of our life or begins to challenge us, we see the possibility of that. We think about the possibility of that. But we realize that what it's going to cost for us to do that is more than we're willing to pay. And so we set in mediocrity and uh, instead of ever claiming what God is calling us to in life, we settle for comfort. It's been said before, if you do the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same results over and over again. You've heard the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for different results. It just doesn't happen. When you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. And some people in the room in here would say, well, that's just the way life is. Well, that may be the way life is, but that's not living. And it's certainly not living the way God has called you to. It's not living up to what God has called you to live. You see, we bought into this lie that that's what life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about these routines and it's supposed to be about these comfort. It's not. You see, the Christian life that God redeemed you for is to be all about wonder and awe and difference and change and obedience. And we've settled for comfort. And in comfort, while we may feel good about ourselves, we're not making any difference in the world around us. We had not changed anything. In 1792, there was a young pastor, a young Baptist pastor in England, Leicester, England. Began to get a heart for missions. Began to get a heart to, to want to do things beyond his routine. And in those days, 200 years ago, the routine in church was, was so liturgical. You had the same order of service week to week to week. And, and he just felt like the church was in a rut. And he felt like he was in a rut. And so he began to just pray over people that had never heard the gospel. Pray over people in unheard, unreached people groups. And he began to get a heart for missions. And he, he preached a sermon that, that we don't know any of the text to. It's called the Deathless Sermon, which is not a great title for a sermon. Uh, but the reason we know of the sermon was because it became his life statement. The two points in that sermon became his mission statement. And the two points of that sermon were that we need to try to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. You see, what he believed is that the only way for us to get out of our spiritual comfort zone, to get out of our spiritual rut, is once we begin to expect God to do incredible things, and in expecting God to do incredible things, begin to attempt to do incredible things for God. And as young William Carey preached that sermon, God began to speak to his heart and said, that's not just a sermon for those people, it's a sermon for you. And he came back and told his wife and they had young kids and God used that message to call him to go to foreign countries. So he packed up everything he had and he left to go to India to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, becoming one of the first modern missionaries. And in India in that day was unheard of for white people to go. It wasn't even a colony yet. It was the other side of the world, but he felt like he, in believing great things from God, was going to try to attempt a great thing for God. 
And you see, what I want to suggest to you is the two points of that 200-year-old sermon give us the exact same way you and I can get out of our spiritual ruts. The way we can get out of our life ruts. The way you can make a difference in 2014, unlike what you did in 2015, unlike you did in 2014. That you could actually live a life, live up to the calling that God's placed on your life. Now to take that and make it more practical, I want to look at our passage that we're studying. The passage I've given you in the order of service. We're on a series studying through the book of Ephesians called To Be or Not To Be. And uh, this series has been an incredible series challenging us and challenging us as a church. And we come to the end of a prayer. Paul makes a prayer at the end of chapter 3. And uh, we've been studying this prayer now for five weeks. And we come to the very end of this prayer. And, And in coming to that prayer, I think there are some practical things that we can take this morning to help you get out of a rut, if you're in a spiritual rut, if you're in a life rut, if your marriage is in a rut, if your family is in a rut, if your business is in a rut, if you feel like you have gotten too comfortable, then I believe God has something for you this morning to help you kick out of that, to help you make a difference in the coming year. And it's found in this little prayer that Paul prays at the end of chapter 3. Now, the verse that we're going to look at, starting in verse 20, is probably one of the most quoted verses from the book of Ephesians. Probably one of the most used verses from the book of Ephesians, but sadly, it's also one of the most uh, used verses out of context and most misunderstood verses that we have in the book of Ephesians. Look what Paul says at the end of his prayer. Like I said, he's coming to the end of his prayer here at the end of chapter 3. He says, now to him, he's talking to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or ever imagine. I want you to hear that. Now to God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How many of you ever heard that scripture? Anybody ever heard people quote that? We quote it all the time. I mean, you, listen, if you've got Facebook, you're going to see somebody quote that on Facebook at least once a week to somebody that says, I'm struggling or having a tough time. Listen, God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Just believe. Just trust Him. And, and all that sounds good. We like to claim this as a promise. But the problem is that's not the end of the verse. That's not the context that he's trying to say. Can God do immeasurably more than we ever imagine and ask? Yes, and he wants to, but there is a condition on it. Look what it says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according according to his power that is at work within us. Now, it doesn't say that God is out there in heaven wanting to do immeasurably more in our life. It says that the power that is already within us is the power that God uses to do more than we ever ask or imagine. He's not going to push some outside power. It is the inside power working its way out inside of us. And Paul's already told us where that power comes from earlier in our study. If you go back and read verses 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, he said the power comes when the Holy Spirit has a place in our heart, in our home. It says when we allow the Holy Spirit to live in our life and be in control of every area of our life, there is a power release, dunamis, a power release that can do incredible things. But the Holy Spirit has to have a place. He has to be in control. Uh, Sin can't be rampant. There's to be a pursuit of holiness. You see, that's where the according to. You see, God can do, but God won't do if the Holy Spirit is not the one moving in our life to see it happen. 
We can claim this promise. We can sing this promise. You can write it down. You can quote it. You can memorize it. But if the Holy Spirit is not working in and through you, then you won't see it become a reality. You see, what he's wanting us to understand is that the power of God to do more than you ever ask or imagine is already within you. It's just a matter of you believing and releasing. See, we want to claim this, but we forget that we have to play a part in it. And our part is removing ourselves from the equation and allowing the Holy Spirit to control every area of our life. Grounding ourselves in His words, what He says in verse 17. Trusting Him. And in that moment, God all of a sudden takes our little effort and does with our little effort more than we could ever imagine. That's how the power of God works according to his power working within us. You see, and the thing about it is he can't do these things until we're willing to step out and be the vessel that he uses to do it. See, where do we see God's power? We see it used through the one who is obedient. You see, it's that place where we all of a sudden say, I'm going to do what God says I can do. And I'm going to be who God says I can be. And I'm going to step out trusting that this verse is a promise for me. We have to get out of our comfort zone and we have to follow his lead. That's when he will release that power. As long as you sit and, and, and you're in your routine and you're in your rut, you can quote this verse over and over again, but you're not going to see God make a difference in your life in the coming year. Because it's not until the point that you step out to serve that He promises to take our effort and make a difference. That's all William Carey knew when he got on that boat to go to India. And that's the key for you and I in seeing a difference in 2015. Do you want to be at the last week of December 2015 and look back at your life again and say, well, it was just like 2014 and that was just like 2013? Or would you like to see God do immeasurably more than you ever asked? Let me just ask you that. Would you like to see God do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine and ask in your business? In your family, in your home, in your workplace, at your school, in your friendships, in your community, in your church? Is that something that you want? Then God said there's a way to achieve it. Let me suggest to you two things that jump out of this passage. If we're ever going to achieve allowing God to use us to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. The first thing that you and I have to do is we have to enlarge our capacity for God. Enlarge your capacity for God. That's where William Carey said we need to expect great things from God. See, sadly in the church today, we have gotten in such a spiritual rut that when we think about God and we talk about God and we sing about God, we've put him in a nice little box. And God's not meant to be in a nice little box. It's been said that God created man in his own image and man returned the favor and created God in his. And we've created a nice little God that we can control that works the way we want him to, when we want him to, and how we want him to. And if he works outside of our routine or outside of our schedule, then we're not ready for it and we're not comfortable with it. I've always said, I mean, it's amazing what would happen uh, if God 
sent a revival at 12.15 on a Sunday morning because most of the people would miss it because they've already checked out because we only give God 20 minutes to work, right? Let's be honest. We come to church and we sing a few songs. We sit down and say, God, do your thing. You're on the clock. We've got to enlarge our capacity to understand who God is. Begin to realize who this God is that he's talking about here. When was the last time, let me, let me just ask, when was the last time you did something that required God stepping up or you would fail? When's the last time you attempted something that you got out and you stepped out on faith and if God hadn't shown up, you'd have never made it? See, those aren't supposed to be one-in-a-lifetime things. We, we think of those as being special. Well, there was that time when I was 27, man, I stepped out on faith and God showed up. Listen, God wants to do that every week in your life. He wants to do that every day in your life. But we are too busy walking by what we see and walking by what we understand and what we can reason and what we can put together in our hands and what we can explain. You see, we need to begin to let God move outside of our dimensions, outside of our boundaries. God wants to move beyond your experience. Stop thinking just because God hadn't done it that way in the past doesn't mean he's not going to do it that way in the future. God wants to do things new and fresh and in ways that you could never imagine if we would only accept and believe. We would only realize that He is God. He's not the man upstairs. He's not some old man that you come and throw wishes at on the weekend hoping that He'll take care of your problems. He is the one who spoke the stars into existence, and he is a holy and righteous God. And through his son, Jesus Christ, he has empowered us and given us forgiveness and grace and mercy, and he wants us to believe him for who he is. Because you see, if we don't believe that God can do all things, then we'll never step out in faith to attempt those things. If we don't believe that God can move mountains, when's, we're not going to start pushing mountains. If we don't believe that God can heal somebody, then our prayer life isn't going to show that we're praying for God to heal somebody. If we don't believe that God wants to reach the world for Christ, then our efforts are going to fall short. See, we've got to start believing that God can do what he says he can do. We need to get out of this why he can't and begin to believe why he can See, so many of us, when God begins to, to move in our lives, we're so busy talking about why that can't work or why that can't happen instead of believing that God can do all things. Stop limiting God. God's looking for some dreamers that are willing to say, this is what God is calling me to and I want to go to it. God wants to do a bigger work in and through you beyond what you can ever ask. You see, it's not about what you can see. Stop walking by sight. It's not about what you can understand. It's not even about your ability or your knowledge of God. It's about your flexibility. It's about your willingness to be stretched. It's about your willingness to, to say, God, I believe you can. Because that's what Paul just said. God can. If you, if you put a period right there, that's enough of that sentence in verse 20. God can. What can God? God can do. What can God do? God can do immeasurably more than I ever imagined or dreamed or thought. 
or even ask. And if you really believe that, if you really believe that God can, then why aren't you? If God can do these things that He says He can do, you know, people ask me all the time when we read stories from the Old Testament and even the New Testament, they say, listen, where is God that used to do that? Does God still work that way? Does God still cause miracles to happen, seas to part, and, and earth to stop? And Can God still do that? Yeah, God just doesn't have people that believe that He can do it. It's not where is the God of Jacob, it's where is the Jacob that believed. See, God is calling us to so much more. We need to let Him out of the box. Be flexible, be willing to stretch. Let me ask you this. What's bigger, a water bottle or a balloon? Water bottle, right? Which one can hold more water? So we've got churches full of water bottles. We say, this is all I can take, God. God, I'm overflowing here, so don't, don't fill me up anymore. God's looking for some balloons that are willing to stretch. Jesus put it a little different way in his parable. He said, God's looking for new wineskins to pour new wine because old wineskins won't stretch. See, God's looking for some people that are flexible. God's looking for people that are willing. God's looking for people that will dream. God's looking for people that can see beyond what you see right in front of you and begin to see what God sees and what God dreams and what God wants to do and grab a hold of it and say, God, whatever it takes, I want to go there. I see the possibilities, God. Let me go there. This year, we need to let God out of his box and begin to believe that God can. People say, oh, well, God can't do that with this church or God can't do this. Listen, I'm standing here to tell you that God can and he will. It's time we enlarge our capacity. And the second thing, the last thing that will make a difference in your life this year is you need to expand your commitment. See, because we like to come to church and we sing these songs, we stand on the promises, and we, I mean, I, you, if we were an amen in church, which maybe someday you guys will get there and you feel like you can nod your head and talk and say amen. When I said God can, you should say amen. So let's practice, okay? God can. Amen. He can. Amen. Okay, so that's great. That's what you're supposed to do. We love to do that. Now, even if you're not used to that in your tradition and, and you're quiet and you were amen on the inside, yeah, that's right, Pastor. God can. God can do more. God can do more than even we do that. But then when it comes to God saying, okay, now you go do it, that's when we say, no, time out, God. I believe you can, but just use that person and just use that person. And that person over there looks like he'd be good at it. See, if we really believe that God can, then we have to believe that God can in me and through me. That's where Carrie's part of attempting great things for God. See, it's not enough just to believe that God can do great things. It's time for some of us to get out of the boat. Time for us to, to look at the water and trust God and take a step. See, it's real easy to sit on the sidelines and throw, throw darts. It's real easy to sit on the sidelines and complain and find all the negatives and see all the reasons why this won't work and that won't work. You know when you stop complaining? You know when you stop being negative? When you start stepping out of the boat? 
Because when you start stepping out of the boat, you don't have time to complain about who else is out of the boat with you or who didn't get in the boat or who missed the boat when you left the shore. All you're focused on is walking towards the Father and trusting Him. See, in 2015, God wants you to get out of the boat. He wants you to trust. He wants you to commit. He wants you to say, God, I'm all in. Stretch me. Stretch me. Fill me. Let me move. You know, stretching is painful. I hate stretching. Why do we stretch before we work out? Because our bodies have gotten comfortable, had not they? Our muscles got comfortable from the last time we worked out. The longer it is between the time that you work out, you start stretching, it hurts a lot more, doesn't it? Works the same way spiritually. You stretch a little, and all of a sudden you're like, man, that's horrible, that was painful. It's because it's been a long time since God stretched you. See, some of you, it's time for you to let God stretch you in ways that you never imagined. It's time for you to step out of the boat and trust Him. You see, you'll never get a hit as long as you don't get in the game. And God's going to do, I believe, in this church and through this church immeasurably more than we could ever imagine or dream or ask. But he can't just do it through the pastor and the staff and a handful of volunteers. He needs everyone to say, I'm getting out of the boat. And if you're not a member of a church here and you're a member of some church, it's the same at your church. I promise you, your pastor's heart is to see people that are willing to say, I'm going to be obedient and dream big dreams and step out and be used. Now, that may be painful. It may mean you have to get stretched. It may mean that, that you're going to have to step out. But I have lived life on a quote that I read from Jim Elliott's missionary journals. Jim Elliott, the martyr missionary to Ecuador, killed in 1952, sharing the gospel with the Aki Indians as a college student when he was wrestling with his call to ministry. His famous quote, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. That's been God's reminder to me that anything, see, because when God starts to stretch us, we want to make excuses. When God starts to stretch us, we want to hang on to the routine. We want to hang on to the comfort. And it hurts sometimes to let go, but the only way you can move forward is by letting go and trusting God. He is no fool who gives up that which he can never keep to gain that which he can never lose. See, God wants to stretch you. God wants to move you. God wants some believers, some dreamers to step out and trust Him, to take that first step and attempt to do something. That may mean ministry. That may mean missions. That may mean doing something that you'd never imagined that you do. But I promise you, listen, there is nothing that God is calling you to, nothing that God expects out of you that He already hadn't spoken to your heart. See, some of you are going to use this as an excuse because God's been on you for a while to do something to attempt something bigger than you have ever imagined, beyond what you can understand, beyond what you can see, and, and God has been on you. Trust me. Do it. Trust me. And you've been making excuse after excuse after excuse. And you're going to walk out the door and say, well, that was just a preacher. And God, no, God's trying to tell you something. It's time for you to attempt to take a step of faith. Don't year go by because you may not have another year and the person that's out there that's depending on your step of faith may not have a year either William Carey arrived on the shores of India with nothing more than 
his family, and the belief in the power of God. He worked seven years. There was no people there. There was no programs. There were no people to tell him what to do. No missionaries to greet him. He worked seven years. And in seven years, he had one convert. One person came to know Jesus Christ in the first seven years that he worked. And in that seven years, his son got dysentery and died. His wife had a nervous breakdown. She never recovered. She had to be institutionalized and she passed away. See, God stretched him. It hurt. God moved him beyond his comfort zone. It cost him something. But he never stopped believing that he was called to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. By the time Carrie had been there 15 years, there had been 1,400 converts to Jesus Christ in India directly as a result of him sharing. 14 years he'd been there, over 100 other missionaries around the world had heard his story and followed his call to go to India. When William Carey passed away as the father of modern missionary movement, he was the first that churches in America, churches in England, churches in Europe started supporting. There were close to 20,000 people in India who had come to know Jesus Christ. Every missionary that serves in India today and really in that whole region owes William Carey's stepping of faith. All because he decided that sermon was more than words. It was to him. And he talked about attempting and he talked about expecting and now it was time to do it. See, the question for you and I this morning is do you believe God can? Because if you believe God can, your 2015 can be very, very different. But Paul says it's depending on or according to his power working in you. If God can, what will you do about it? Let's pray.